So, uh, with that, I'm going to introduce our first uh, uh, speaker, uh, uh, Frank, uh, who uh, uh, um, uh, accepted to, to do this opening keynote uh, for us. Uh, so, Frank is a senior vice president in charge of marketing and product uh, advertising for their consumer business unit. So, as you can imagine, he's behind like most of the very exciting news flow we've seen uh, recently. Uh, he's also an old-time friend. He was actually one of my clients when I was at BCG a very long time ago. Yeah, no yes, uh, you have some, maybe, all right? <laughs> um, and uh, and he has had like strategy, marketing, and product responsibilities at Orange, at Vodafone, at Rogers, at BlackBerry. Uh, he has been part of the Light Squared Adventure, and for, for those of you who've been following this industry for a very long time, he was even involved at Vivendi uh, Universal in these all good days. And so uh, I'm very glad to have him here. Um, what, one last small thing about him, doesn't mean much maybe to many of you, but a lot to us, the French. Uh, he's like uh, an alumni of the Ecole Polytechnique, and he's a very fond chess player, which uh, Good, uh, good, good things to have uh, working on strategy. So um, with, uh, with Frank, we'll have my partner, Jonathan, uh, on stage, who covers uh, telecom and cable in the US uh, at New Street, and Rüdiger, uh, who is a senior partner at, um, at, uh, at BCG, and he leads the center of excellence of BCG for telecom networks, uh, and of course 5G is, uh, is part of that as well. So guys, thank you very much. So Frank, we've got you flagged. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, moving a bit backwards. <laughs> Between a rock and a hard place right here. <laughs> I guess by working for the most admired company in the, in the industry. 
and doing so at a very interesting juncture in the industry with the launch of 5G and Verizon being at the forefront of it. Uh, and if you add to that uh, the fact that uh, Hans, our new CEO, is bringing a, a sense of excitement to the company, re-energizing the company with Verizon 2.0 and uh, its 5G uh, vision, that was the best uh, possible combination for me. So very excited to work for a great technology company. He's um, um, re-energizing the company with an entirely European management layer, all brand new, which is, uh, which is something that's totally interesting as well. Entirely is a bit of an exaggeration. I think we are three Europeans. Right. <laughs> it's all the guys we speak to, though. Um, and technically, I've been living in New York for 10 years, so I've been told I'm a New Yorker. Right. So, um, delving right into the 5G theme, Frank, the, one of the things that uh, I think investors um, and the consumer market um, struggles with is that we live in a world where everybody is best. Um, every carrier um, on every earnings call and every one of their ads puts out a bunch of statistics that claim that they've got the best network on some metric. Verizon's core point of differentiation has always been the network. As we head into this 5G era, how do you break through all the noise of everybody Everybody is best um, and, and put this value proposition in front of consumers um, and get it recognized? So I break it into two parts, network reality and network perception. So network reality, I look at all the credible benchmarks there, whether it's root metrics, uh, Nielsen, JD Power, Open Signal, Tutela, Umlaut, the top six will be number one on them for many, many years. Actually, as far as root metrics is concerned, uh, the last survey was our best survey ever with 96% of wins. So when we uh, advertise about having the best network, we put those surveys uh, on, uh, on TV. Uh, we don't put footnotes uh, for consumers to find out on what the, uh, the claim is based on. So that, that's the network reality, and, and we trust those reliable benchmarks. But then we measure also consumer perception. That was the other part of your question. And since I've been uh, with Verizon the last uh, almost three years now, the perception gap between Verizon as the best network and the number two and number three has not narrowed. So we, we have the best network in reality and in perception. And we firmly intend to carry that into the 5G world. I'm sure we're going to come to that. And so the, your contention, Frank, is that all of the claims from the other carriers aren't really landing with consumers. Somehow you've carved out this um, perception that, that Verizon is the best network over, you sort of established this over many years and it's stuck no matter what everybody else is claiming. Yes, and it, stuck, it sticks because it's real. Right. So, and, and we want to continue in the 5G world to have the best network, 4G or 5G, and the best perception. So let's there is an interesting question when I talk to your peers or the managers of your peers who are in other markets where millimeter wave is uh, soon coming up for, uh, for auction. The big question is, you are network leadership and you're investing heavily into fixed wireless access based on millimeter wave. So what is your experience and how does that play out in reality? 
both from provisioning, from customer experience, um, and what are your ambitions going forward? How big do you believe this is going to be for you as an operator? Yeah. Before I, I, uh, I zoom on to the, the 5G home uh, use case, maybe just a step back on our 5G strategy overall. So what we are deploying is a multi-purpose network uh, that will serve all the use cases from mobility to um, fixed wireless access for the home or the office and also advanced uh, services for companies leveraging uh, the slice network and the multi-access edge computing, mobile edge uh, computing. So it will be one network with one fiber uh, backbone, one intelligent network, and so the investments uh, we are doing uh, will get a return from all of those use cases. That's very different from the previous world where we had different network uh, infrastructure. So 5G home is one of the use cases uh, within that uh, overall uh, network strategy. When it comes to 5G Home, uh, we've introduced now more than a year ago uh, a value proposition in four cities. It was based on a pre-standard, and we wanted to learn what resonates with customers, and we wanted also to fine-tune all of our operational processes, from the network deployment to the provisioning of customers. And the value proposition is resonating very well with customers uh, for a couple of uh, reasons. One, uh, there is a lot of dissatisfaction with cable providers in this country. Uh, and second, uh, there is a trend from consumers who want to move away uh, from traditional packages and want a broadband-only proposition and then add on the OTT services they want. So uh, we are catering for those customer needs. So our value proposition is very simple. Uh, you get a 300 megabit per second internet service uh, for $70 taxes and fees included if you are not a Verizon Wireless customer, and $50 if you are. Uh, the second attribute of that value proposition is that the first three months are free. So we don't ask you to disconnect right away from your current provider. You can test our service alongside uh, your current service and then decide whether you want to drop or not. And then we offer, on top of that, uh, OTT uh, solutions with YouTube TV, now Disney Plus, and uh, two uh, OTT boxes, one custom Fire TV uh, edition and uh, a Stream TV box based on, uh, on Android TV. So that's the type of home uh, solution that customers want these days. Uh, the results so far, where we've deployed uh, the network, and it was limited in the pre-standard um, deployment, We've had for the third entrance, besides the cable co and the incumbent telco, a very, um, we are very pleased with the market share we are gaining from new customers, and the satisfaction rate is very high. Can you share something on the market share, or is that too touchy for IR purposes? It's too touchy. Okay. Uh, so that, that was phase one that started a year ago. Now, a few days ago, a few weeks ago, we launched Chicago. Chicago was the first city where we deployed 5G NR, so the standard technology. So with the new range of CPE, for instance, we had the first uh, uh, router with Alexa built in. Uh, we have a CPE that covers uh, multiple use cases, so we call it the sandwich. So it's a piece of CPE that you can put indoor, close to a window, or on each side of the window as a sandwich, or in some cases it can be uh, installed externally. But in most cases, it's a self-setup process. Mm. So 
when you order the service, you don't need to wait uh, and set up an appointment in a four hours window. Uh, you just grab the equipment or it's delivered to your home and you self-install. So that's also uh, a pain point with the current providers, uh, the, uh, the installation process that, uh, that we've saw. So now uh, the next step uh, for us is uh, to get higher power CPEs that will come with the new Qualcomm chipset in 2020 and to have also integrated radios on the network side. So we are just we have just started to deploy them. So we are going to continue and deploy uh, our uh, millimeter wave to expand the addressable uh, market. But so far, it's very encouraging. How, what, what is your assessment of the reliability and predictability of millimeter wave? That's a question many operators yes. so, uh, so far, uh, we've positioned the service as a 300 megabit per second uh, uh, internet access service, but in Chicago with NR, uh, we are regularly between 600 and 700 megabit per second, and uh, we measure continuously the satisfaction of the uh, first customers, and the satisfaction is very high. Actually, it's higher than uh, our FIOS customers. So, Frank, in the in the early days with the pre-standard equipment, in our tests, we found within markets that you had launched very limited availability. So something like 6% of the households we tested actually had access to the, to the service, which, which suggested to us that the, the range of millimeter wave really create, is limited, which creates a real implementation problem for you. Is this different in Chicago with NR equipment? Um, and is, it, is, the, is the new NR equipment um, what gets you more range, or do you just have to put a lot more density into these markets over time? So two, two things. So first, uh, the deployment was limited in scale initially because it was the pre-standard technology. Yeah. So we were not getting uh, the economies of scale in terms of cost. So that, that was a conscious decision to limit the deployment of the uh, TF technology, the pre-standard technology. As we get uh, into NR, one important uh, point I want to come back to is that the investment is shared between the mobility use case and the fixed wireless uh, use case. So our first wave of millimeter wave deployment is focused on the areas where we have the most cellular traffic uh, to absorb that capacity. And then in addition, we get the opportunity to serve uh, households with a fixed wireless access, 5G home value proposition. So uh, our deployment is dictated by uh, the, uh, the mobility uh, traffic first, and then incrementally, uh, we cover uh, households for 5GO. So you will see it as a progressive uh, deployment. We've announced that uh, on the millimeter wave, we'll have more than 30 cities by the end of this year. By the end of uh, next year, we will have covered more than all the tier one cities in the US. But it sounds like within those cities, Frank, it's still going to be hotspots of availability. Um, doesn't that annoy customers who see the ad or are attracted to it? So, go onto the website and see that they can't, they can't get access to it? So it's very early days. Yeah. So uh, we are just starting to deploy uh, integrated radios in mass. Um, we've uh, also uh, engaged in our one fiber deployment already for some years. We have many sites that are ready uh, for installation as soon as those uh, integrated radios arrive. And we still have a lot of uh, software uh, features coming that will improve uh, the performance and the, and the coverage. So, so far it's very encouraging, but you should see it as 
uh, a progressive uh, ramp up of our coverage uh, in 2020 and in the following year. You made an interesting point earlier where you described fixed wireless access or your at-home proposition as a use case on top of a shared network. In how much is that architecture from your experience or business plans required to make the five fixed wireless access use case really scalable and broader available? Is that I, I think it's, uh, it's very important uh, to have that shared uh, infrastructure so that uh, it carries both your cellular traffic uh, and uh, your uh, fixed uh, connectivity traffic. It's absolutely critical. It would, and that's maybe, you can't answer that question, but uh, would the business case not stack up if you didn't have that? We haven't constructed a standalone business okay. So switching gears a second, one of the things that you've been very instrumental in bringing to Verizon since you've been there um, is some partnerships with some of the most prominent global brands on the planet. So uh, Apple, uh, Alphabet, um, uh, Disney Plus most recently. The, what is your selling proposition to these companies? Um, why do they want to partner with Verizon? What's the value that you... Um, that you're able to promise them. So, n not surprisingly, the best network, yeah. uh, and, and they recognize uh, that. The, the second is also uh, that we are uh, the largest uh, D2C uh, platform in the US, when you think of it. Uh, we have 110 million consumers uh, across uh, mobility and, uh, and home. Uh, we serve 40 million households, so, sorry, 40, yes, 40 million households, that's about 40% of the households in the country. Uh, they are on the more affluent uh, side. So it's a very uh, attractive uh, distribution platform for partners uh, like those you've mentioned. And third, uh, we have a marketing cloud, so we can leverage all of our touch points. Uh, we have uh, 16,000 branded Verizon stores. Uh, we have all of our CRM touch points, uh, mobilelab.com, uh, etc. And we can leverage our marketing budget as well by including uh, those uh, offers uh, in our marketing mix. So the combination of the, of the three, the best network, uh, the large uh, addressable uh, customer base, and uh, the marketing machine, that's really uh, what has attracted uh, brands like uh, Apple, Disney, and Google. And it seems like the, these three brands are literally the most, three most prominent brands on the planet. How, do you, how have you sort of constructed your portfolio of companies that you want to partner with? How does each one of those um, fit into, into a sort of a, an overall plan? So, so you, you've asked what we bring uh, to them. Yeah. Let me say what they bring to us. Exactly. Uh, so the reason why uh, we are partnering with those uh, leading brands uh, is because we want them to bring us differentiation. So if you look at the um, uh, Apple partnership or the Disney partnership, those are exclusive uh, marketing partnerships. Uh, so that helps us uh, to lower our cost of acquisition, our cost of retention, our, um, to improve our return on customer investment overall. Because the cost of the promotion is, uh, is shared and we get differentiation because you cannot get it elsewhere. If you want 12 months of uh, Disney Plus for free, the only place you can get it today is if you are a Verizon Wireless customer or a 5G Home customer or, or a new Fios uh, customer. So for us, uh, what they bring to us is differentiation and uh, better effectiveness uh, of our marketing uh, investment. And so 
we look at each category. So in the, in the music category, we picked uh, Apple. Uh, I think they've been public about it. They are very happy about the partnership with us. Uh, when we started, they were number two in the U.S. Now they've overpassed uh, Spotify as the leading um, uh, player for paid subscription uh, in the U.S. Uh, what we've uh, launched last week with uh, with Disney uh, got a fantastic reception uh, from customers. So we are very happy with the uh, early days of uh, of that partnership. So. It really seems to be a win-win combination. How many of the 10 million did you guys uh, did you guys bring to Disney Plus? Uh, I'll let Disney comment on that. <laughs> well, thinking about partnerships a bit more broadly, because this, to some extent, sounded like yes, is a marketing partnership. Um, how do you think about partnerships in developing novel, also consumer use cases on 5G? There's some of your peers, they're all going all into cloud gaming with partnerships and low latency offers at a certain point in time. What's your so thinking here? Cloud gaming is a very good uh, example of uh, a new type of partnerships we want to do moving forward, leveraging our 5G network and the mobile edge uh, compute capability that we are just about to, uh, to introduce. We'll have our, our first uh, implementation uh, before the end of, uh, of the year. So that uh, allows us to, uh, to offer an even richer uh, uh, value proposition to potential partners. Because on one side, we can have a B2B relationship where uh, they're going to use our ultra-low latency uh, capability or slicing capability on the network side to develop new features in, in their cloud gaming service, uh, a higher tier for ultra-low latency, for instance, or higher reliability. And on the other side, we can be the go-to-market partner. Uh, what, and what, what, use, what use cases can we expect from Verizon in the midterm? I think cloud gaming is one that is rather prominent these days. Are there other things you say these are the handful of novel use cases you are thinking about? So, as a matter of fact, just this morning we, we are announcing a, a partnership with, uh, with Snap. Will be their uh, 5G uh, official uh, partner, and uh, as you know, they are uh, very advanced in developing uh, AR capabilities. Those AR capabilities require more and more bandwidth and low uh, latency. So we are very excited to co-create uh, with them use cases for the Gen Z in particular, which which is the core of their audience, to introduce advanced uh, AR capabilities. Uh, but we are all uh, focused on the uh, consumer uh, use cases like uh, cloud gaming, AR, live sports, uh, those, those are very uh, exciting and we are working on them. Uh, but there is a lot more use cases on the B2B side, uh, whether it's uh, precision manufacturing, like the partnership with, uh, we've announced uh, with, uh, with Corning uh, or with, uh, with SAP, uh, pre precision manufacturing, uh, a new retail experience, uh, <coughs> new way to manage your supply chain end-to-end. -end. There are many use cases uh, in the uh, B2B space, vertical by vertical as well. Um, on just coming back again on the consumer side, because that's sort of the near-term uh, monetization potential, in your partnerships on cloud gaming and with Snap, what is the monetization model that you have in mind? Is that like add-on subscription to an existing plan? Is this a bundle? How do you monetize these use cases? I think you, you can uh, think of them in, uh, in three uh, different ways. They might all be uh, combined uh, or not. So <clears throat> the first one is the B2B relationship. 
So we're going to expose the the MEC uh, capabilities, uh, the ultra low latency capabilities, etc. And there could be uh, a B2B relationship or wholesale relationship with uh, with a partner, or uh, it can be a revenue sharing type of uh, of model. Uh, that revenue sharing model can be uh, <coughs> uh, negotiated by the B2B division, or it can be also uh, on the consumer side if it involves the go-to-market. Uh, and uh, <coughs> there is also uh, in the go-to-market the sharing uh, of the promotional cost and the go-to-market cost. So you have those three ways uh, to have an impact on our bottom line. So Frank, this is a, um, a new role for Verizon, uh, essentially, where you're setting yourself up as a platform um, that other companies can launch products over. When we think of the companies that have been able to do that in the past, Apple, Google, they claim 30% of the revenues um, or more of services being sold through their platform. Um, is that the kind of opportunity um, that, you're, that you're talking about? So one, uh, one common point is that we want to develop an ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, that's why we are so keen on working with partners, both on the B2B side and on the B2C side, and figure out with them what's the right model uh, to create that level of, uh, of opportunity. So we, we are uh, in the very uh, early days, but the ambition is to develop that, uh, that new ecosystem that the 5G uh, network and platform allows. And in a world where there's no, um, no net neutrality under the current administration, there doesn't seem to be any threat to that kind of monetization model. If we end up with a different administration in a few years and net neutrality is reimposed, does that make it difficult to, um, uh, to monetize these partnerships? As, as a matter of principle, we are committed to net neutrality. Uh, what uh, we didn't want is net neutrality and Title II regulation uh, to be mixed together, but we, uh, we want to continue and uh, abide by the net neutrality standard. But isn't there a sense in which you're, um, you would naturally be prioritizing the the services of your partners over others that would run into net neutrality issues? So I think there is a difference between um, uh, net neutrality and offering different tier of services. So let, let's take the, the cloud gaming uh, example. Uh, if there are two tiers of uh, cloud gaming uh, service, one with regular latency, one with ultra-low uh, latency, that does not infringe on the on the neutrality principles. So the the other theme I wanted to get in, into with you, Frank, is as we think about the value proposition that you bring to consumers, best network, objective, subjective, the value proposition that you bring to these partners is exactly the same. It's you want to partner with Verizon on this first because we've got forty percent of all households out there and they're the most valuable households, but we've also got the best network. And this is the network that you want to launch these, these services on um, because it represents your brand best. What I think some investors worry about is that primacy of the Verizon network is at risk um, from a, a number of different uh, directions. So AT&T's just launched 60 megahertz of spectrum and now they have a deployed spectrum advantage. If the Sprint T-Mobile deal goes through, they'll have 300 megahertz of spectrum. Um, they'd be in, in a deployed spectrum advantage as well. We've got DISH 
threatening to launch a brand new greenfield 5G network with a fairly significant amount of spectrum. The cable guys launching into this business now with a very different kind of network architecture, no spectrum today, but a platform for potentially deploying spectrum that would could give them a lot of a, a lot of capacity. To what extent do, do all of these factors threaten the core Verizon value proposition right at the time when we're entering the 5G era and things are about to change? Precisely, as we're entering the 5G era. So what is 5G about? Uh, 5G has been designed uh, with eight currencies in mind. And on all those eight currencies, so whether it's uh, the bandwidth, the capacity, uh, the latency, the link density, meaning the number of devices you can manage by a square mile, uh, the end over speed, reliability, time to introduce new service or energy efficiency. So those are the eight currencies. They are one or two orders of magnitude in terms of performance versus 4G. It's the first generation of cellular technology it's my fifth generation, <laughs> so I've been through one, two, three, four. It's the first time you have one to two order of magnitude of performance improvement. And when you combine those eight currencies with one or two order of magnitude of improvement, it's a step change versus what you can do as a continuous improvement of, uh, of forge. But uh, there is a but to deliver the full potential of those eight currencies you need millimeter wave. You need a lot of spectrum. Uh, you need several, several hundred megahertz of continuous spectrum. Otherwise, you cannot deliver the use cases leveraging uh, mobile edge computing, ultra low latency, enormous throughput on the downlink, but also on the uplink, which you haven't got on, the, on 4G today. So our network strategy is really based on that. We want to deploy the true 5G that allows for the full um, implementation of those uh, capabilities. And so that's why uh, we are engaged in the millimeter wave deployment. That's why we are communicating above the line about 5G built right. right. And so that, that's our, our first, um, the first pillar of our 5G network strategy. The second pillar, which is the one you are talking about, is the uh, evolution of the 4G coverage. And um, when you deploy 5G uh, in the low band, uh, in the mid band, with an amount of spectrum comparable to, to 4G, you are not going to get a step change in terms of performance and capability. And uh, we are going to do that as the normal evolution of our network. Uh, what's uh, also uh, more attractive about 5G is when it comes to spectrum refarming, we don't, it, it's not binary. You don't need to clear entirely the spectrum uh, before you can use it for 5G. You can use a technology called DSS, Dynamic Spectrum Sharing, which allows you to reallocate the spectrum between 4G and 5G depending on the actual usage. So uh, DSS uh, will be in, uh, introduced in the course of, uh, of next year. And so gradually, we will use more and more uh, spectrum uh, on our 5G network. So, Think of, uh, uh, think of 5G as a uh, dual uh, deployment. One is the 5G ultra-wideband, leveraging um, our millimeter wave uh, asset and allowing us 
to enable the eight currencies of 5G. And the other layer is the coverage layer, which is the evolution of our 4G network, which has by far the best uh, coverage and, uh, and quality today. So if, if you look at it uh, that way, there is no reason to be scared. I think so there is one middle ground, I think, that, well, in the U.S., that's what Jonathan alluded to with uh, T-Mobile uh, in a shared, uh, in a, if a merger happens, if you go into other markets, everybody goes after C-bands, you get 100 plus megahertz. There is a massive step change in perceived performance for consumers. You go to Korea, you do the speed test, there's a very different experience. The way I hear you, you're saying, well, that's not sufficient. It needs millimeter wave to really that consumers would say, wow, this is something very different. Or um, did I misread you? So, again, you're focused on, on consumer. Uh, but if you look at it overall, if you want to have enough capacity, uh, enough uh, bandwidth on the uplink and the downlink to be able to uh, deliver mobile edge uh, computing, you will need more spectrum. Uh, than uh, they have in, in Korea, for instance, uh, at, uh, at 3.5. How do you think about monetizing the edge? That's one of the big conundrum of many operators who try to figure out how to think about it. On the one hand, many people have a gut feel, this is our opportunity. And when you poke it a little bit, then people say, I'm not 100% sure how, what the use case is and how I monetize. What's your take on edge? So, we, uh, as I said earlier, we are uh, committed to do it through partnerships and to develop an ecosystem. So, through our 5G lab, uh, through our um, partnerships with uh, enterprises uh, in vertical sectors, in B2B, or in, uh, in consumer, we, we are exploring with them what's the right uh, architecture, what's the right uh, economic model. So, you will see us continue and, and announce such uh, partnerships and develop the, uh, the model uh, with, those, uh, with those partners. So it's, it's work in progress. And what do you think will it take for Verizon or some of your peers in Edge to win against the hyperscalers? But it, it, uh, it takes uh, several things. So first, uh, we have started to invest in our one fiber program years ago. So you, you will need a, a dense uh, network with uh, fiber as a backhaul. Uh, and uh, you will need uh, the millimeter wave uh, spectrum. And if you compare our position versus our uh, competitors, we, we have uh, a significant uh, advantage. So both in terms of deployment and spectrum uh, assets, uh, we have a clear lead. And against the Googles and the Amazons who are in cloud and it's only a matter of physics on when a cloud turns into an edge cloud. Yeah. Yeah, but for, for the last part on, on the radio uh, part, uh, they will have to go through a wireless car. So Frank, going back to that, um, that comment, essentially that's where I see a bit of a disconnect. You've got a phenomenal position in millimeter wave and you've been pursuing one fiber now for a long time, but you still don't have the density you need to make that millimeter wave portfolio available to all of your customers in the way that 4G is. And it seems like that's a long way off. It seems in a, in a 4G world, you have this phenomenal consistency of experience everywhere. And that's what your network work reputation is built on. The map is red in its entirety. And you don't have the density to do that in uh, in 5G, and so there'll be these pockets of phenomenal performance, which will look very different uh, when you go back onto the 4G network and create a, a 
very different kind of experience on the Verizon network than what Verizon customers have experienced in the past. So a, a couple of things. So first, when you think about um, uh, radio coverage, you always have a, thread, a, a trade-off between three things. Acquiring spectrum, densifying your network, and adding new software capabilities. Uh, and we are constantly uh, optimizing that trade-off. So we, we have a network that is very dense. Uh, we are introducing um, a number of uh, software technologies. So our network uh, has got uh, 256 QAM. Um, we are moving to uh, 8 uh, CC and 4 CC in terms of uh, carrier aggregation. Um, we are also um, leveraging the, the 5 uh, gigahertz uh, band with uh, LAA. Uh, we are testing uh, CDRS, so we are using, and plus the reform, reforming with, uh, with DSS, so we are using all of these uh, levers uh, to accelerate our network uh, deployment and our coverage and, uh, and capacity. So you, you cannot take just one of them, you need to look at them in aggregate, uh, and I think you, you, you can give some... Uh, credit to our engineering track record. Uh, when, when we discuss with, uh, with partners, we constantly get the feedback that uh, our engineering team is doing the best job uh, on, uh, on deployment of new technologies like 5G. So the, is there an opportunity for you to partner um, with infrastructure players? Maybe this is a little bit of what Rudiger was, uh, was playing into um, in order to get that density that the much greater density quickly than you could build on your own with one fiber initiative. So just as an example, um, if we look at the model that Altis has deployed in Long Island with, uh, with Sprint, um, you have uh, uh, relationships with the cable companies that are working very well. Is there an opportunity for you to leverage their infrastructure to get rapid density um, uh, on, a, on a nationwide basis? So our preferred approach, obviously, is to have network economics uh, and to deploy uh, our own uh, fiber. Uh, but city by city, we are opportunistic. So if, uh, whether it's with a utility company, uh, with an infrastructure company, or the city uh, itself, there is a, an opportunity, we'll, uh, we'll look at it. When it comes to the uh, MSOs, it, it takes two to tango. So we would have to find whether there is a, there is a fit uh, there. The, um, we've got a few minutes left for questions from the audience. I think there's somebody running around with mics. Um, uh, would anybody, any, any questions from the audience at this stage? I think we need to inject some more coffee into the room. I can't <laughs> believe we'd be yeah. daring. <laughs> How yeah, Okay. Uh, I really enjoyed the uh, Thank you. One thing that I haven't heard uh, that you mentioned, I'm very curious. How do you see AI injected into this very rich 5G over-edge portfolio that you just described? So that, that's a very good question because <clears throat> when you think of uh, 5G as we describe it as the fourth industrial revolution, uh, it's not 5G on its own. It's 5G combined with uh, AI, AI, machine learning, and, uh, and big data. They, they go hand in hand together. Uh, I, I'll give you um, uh, one, one example. If you, if you, and I'll take a consumer example, so that uh, Rudiger will be happy. Uh, if you think of um, 
mapping technologies today. Uh, they are based on uh, 2D uh, vector maps, whether it's Google Maps or, or, or any uh, mapping technology. Uh, what will be uh, possible with uh, 5G is 3D mapping. So with the mobile edge uh, compute, you will be able to uh, render uh, filters on a 3D map real time. But to do that, you will need enormous uh, capabilities in terms of compute, AI, and machine learning. So that, that's a very good example where you, you see that you will need a combination of the two, uh, what is enabled by 5G in terms of ultra-low latency uh, and bandwidth and edge compute on one side, and on the other side, the AI and machine learning uh, to um, analyze what's in your environment uh, and render uh, the, uh, the information that is relevant to you. Frank, uh, one more question for me. The, I think you've been fairly instrumental in uh, launching some new plans at Verizon in August. Those new plans fed into a very strong third quarter for you. Give us the thought process behind what you did in terms of tweaking the plans. Um, it looks like AT&T followed swiftly on your heels. They just replicated exactly what you've done. Um, or is there some difference between what you did and what they did? So, the, first, the, the, uh, the premises. We, we started with in-depth uh, consumer research, uh, and what we uh, found out, not surprisingly, is different uh, segments, different individual uh, customers have got different needs. So, if you look at the evolution of our plans, not only this summer, but it, it started uh, a year ago when we first uh, introduced uh, Mix and Match, we started to position our different plans for different uh, segments. So, we, we've got five plans now from uh, Just Kids, uh, Start, uh, Play, Do, and Get uh, Unlimited, and they are uh, tailored for different customer segments. So, th that was uh, the genesis of it combined with the ability uh, to mix and match those plans for a family account versus one size fits all. So started the year ago, resonated very well, and so this was the second iteration where, again, based on research customer reaction, we have fine-tuned um, those uh, plans so that in terms of needs, uh, they, they are um, better answering uh, what customer wants. So that's the first point. Second point, we have an ARPA-driven strategy. So we, we have uh, today half of our base on uh, unlimited, half of our base on metered, and so we wanted to make uh, the unlimited price point more affordable for our metered base. Uh, and so now we have a price point at uh, $35 for four lines with autopay, which is our headline pricing. So it helps us to um, step up metered customer to, uh, to unlimited, and also uh, to uh, acquire more new accounts. So that's uh, the, the first component of that uh, ARPA strategy. The second component of the ARPA strategy is within Unlimited to move more customers towards the premium Unlimited plans. Uh, and um, we, uh, we have seen, uh, since we've introduced um, uh, the second iteration of Mix and Match in, uh, in August, progress on all fronts. So we are stepping up more customers from meter to unlimited and within unlimited, and we are performing well uh, in terms of acquisition. And uh, you saw it in our in our phones, uh, net ad uh, for the uh, for the third quarter. Mm -hmm. So, so it was 
sorry, just to summarize, was differentiation based on customer need, which is uh, hard to replicate, uh, and uh, and then an ARPA-driven strategy when it comes to uh, to price point. And just one last comment: we did it by increasing our auto-pay uh, discount uh, to limit the uh, the write down uh, from existing customers. Sure. Segment needs is a good segment. I would one was one last question from my side is: you say you have defined customer segments, a very distinct need, and you want to ensure a coherent experience in their footprint. At the same time, you have like a low band coverage layer with DSS. You have millimeter wave, where people will be shocked about improvement in terms of performance. How do you create a reasonably homogeneous experience for the customers that you are targeting in the initial acquisition phase of five G? But I, I, I don't see there is a contradiction, Rieger. If, if I look at the, the markets where we have deployed uh, ultra-wideband uh, today, uh, we, we sell more of these devices that are ultra-wideband capable. This is a Note 10 uh, 5G device. And in those markets, we see more customers on the premium unlimited plans where ultra-wideband is included. And so the, today we have already that differentiated experience between the cities where we've launched and the cities where we haven't launched. So we, we will continue and, uh, and manage uh, that mix. So the average new commercial strategy. Yes. Thank you. I think that's all we have time for. Frank, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate thank it. You thank you very much. Thank you.